Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, your podcast for insights into the European VC industry. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends, and join our Slack community at theeuropeanvc.com forward slash community. Today, we're happy to welcome you to the second part of our interview with Ertan Jan, founding partner of Multiple Capital, one of Europe's truly visionary fund of funds, pioneering micro VC and seed fund investing. We'll be jumping right in where we left the interview. So if you haven't listened to the first part yet, we really do suggest you go ahead and do so first. And don't forget, if you would like to suggest topics or guests for future episodes, join our community and help make the best pod for everything European VC. And if you are about to raise a fund or an international round, do let us know and we'll be happy to introduce you to relevant investors. Hack and Hustle's launching the second cohort of their first fundraise accelerator program. Tailor-made for European first-time founders about to raise their pre-seed or seed round. In 10 weeks, founders learn directly from European VC champions while they build and execute on a no BS fundraise prep that will secure them their next round of financing fast. It's up or out. If founders don't keep up the pace, they're kicked. So participation and progress is ensured for the most ambitious teams. Invite founders in your network to visit hackhustle.co and apply to get connected to the European VC. We cannot end this without asking you to give some advice to the emerging managers out there. What should they do and what should they stop doing? <laughs> so I want to be very open here because I have the feeling, you know, that the, the number of emerging managers today compared to eight years ago has tenfold, right? So even more. Like I have the feeling really everyone tries to set up a VC. And my biggest advice would be really to think twice about it. Is that really the thing that you really, really want to do? Because it's a super long-term business, right? So, and I don't know what people think about being a VC. I mean, I think sometimes there's a misperception about the work of a venture capitalist, especially the long-term commitment of a venture capitalist. Because we're talking here about if you want to be in the VC business, you will be in the VC business if you want to be successful in the VC business for 20 years minimum. So it's a very, very long-term commitment. And of course, you're committing to it and it's not easy to get out of it, right? So, uh, and the question that I'm asking myself is always, why is everyone so much focused on being a VC at the moment, raising a fund, right? So many, many people that have never like touched the world before. I don't know why. Maybe it's easy to raise at the moment. It's an easier environment for a lot of people in some markets because people think venture is a big thing at the moment. Like for example, blockchain. It's super easy to raise a blockchain fund today because blockchain seems to like tenfold every month, you know, many projects and you, you earn a lot of money and a lot of people have missed earning money. So they want to still, you know, back some blockchain funds and it's an easy time to raise blockchain funds for a lot of crypto blockchain venture funds. The question is really that that's the first advice. Ask yourself, honestly, is that something that you really want to do over the next 20 years? And if that's the case, then start raising. And then I have to say that people are much better prepared today compared to, you know, five to 10 years ago. So the theses are better. The setups, they understand better portfolio construction. The decks look much better. So design, design companies have developed a lot. They understand that the legal side has developed. So there's more advice, I think, from the legal side, from the admin side, et cetera. Et cetera. So everything seems to be well set up. But at the same time, yeah. You don't see a lot of differences. 
right? Differentiation is very difficult at the moment, right? So I see like 10 times it's more or less the same fund. I forget even the names because they look so similar. Well-designed, you know, <laughs> extremely well-designed, probably the same design agency even. The kind of differentiation is super important. Like for me is I have to understand why I'm taking you and not the other nine, right? So, And this is something that is more difficult today. So my advice is think a lot about how you can differentiate yourself against the mass, right? So because you are pitching against the mass. I think this year we have received like 300 or 400 decks in one single year. Like this is insane. And there's tons of VC funds that we don't really look at, right? The bigger funds, the 100 million plus funds, we're not looking at them. And there are, again, a lot of those. So it's a huge competition. My biggest advice is think about it really how do you differentiate yourself against everyone else? And I personally don't have a problem, you know, investing into solo GPs. So don't think too much about a team. If you think of having an emerging team, think very well, is it really the right person that you're working together, right? Do you know him well enough? Have you worked with him before? Have you spent time with him before? The emerging team or the first-time team thing is real, right? So if it's really a first-time team, you've never worked before, you've never invested before, then it's a risk. It's a bigger risk, in my opinion, compared to versus a solo GP. A solo GP does not have a team risk itself. So there is no conflict potential because you're alone. That's the kind of advice that I um, can give. Everything else, I think, done well at the moment. People get the right information, search for the right information, do a good setup. The funds look much, much better on paper. One other advice I would like to give is if you're really an emerging manager, I don't understand it, but some people are overselling themselves. Like the sentence, I'm the best. Most of those people who say this sentence have never really invested. They have never really shown some kind of, you know, how do you think? Like, why do you think you are the best in doing what you're doing? Like, show me, tell me, you know, make me understand. And just saying I'm the best doesn't make you the best, right? So my advice would be really try to understand how you differentiate, try to communicate this extremely clear, right? Don't make too much marketing out of it. Just be extremely clear in communicating in the time of, a lot of, you know, we, we all have a lot of noise. There's a lot of communication noise, new funds, everything, right? So everyone wants to avoid noise and be super clear in your communication. Try to communicate extremely clear why you are good at something or better at something. If you can differentiate and if you can show that, I think that's the best advice that I can give. To our listeners who are emerging managers, it's interesting because Ertan is the second fund of funds manager that gives this advice of don't use these superlative adjectives of being the best, the first, the only. All of that is bad, (laughs) right? It has the exact opposite effect. I'm curious about deal flow. So you said that you received an astonishing number of decks. How do you hunt emerging managers? Because these guys are sneaky, right? Most of them, at least this is my personal experience, correct me if I'm wrong, most of them still hold a full-time job elsewhere whilst raising. Some are transitioning out or in some cases, which adds complexity, transitioning out from another fund, whether they're a VP or not a partner necessarily from those organizations. So they tend to be sneaky. So do you hunt emerging managers? And if you do, how do you go about it? Yes, I hunt a lot. Almost every call that I have with a VC I try to reference. That's part of my job. So if you are pitching your fund to me and you are in Estonia, right? I try to talk to you about the rest of Estonian market. And I try to understand if there are any funds that I'm missing, if there are any funds that are not on my radar. That's something that I do. And then, of course, I've invested in 30 funds so far, or over 30 funds. 
I'm referencing a lot with those funds, you know, trying to understand who is new, who they think of. They actively come, of course, back to me as well because they know exactly what I'm searching for. So I'm hunting mainly through references and through my network and trying to explain people again and again what I'm focused on, right? So I just had a call a few weeks ago with a very famous UK VC, right? He's huge, like he has a huge fund. He's raising lots of capital. Like I was surprised having a call with him. It was an introduction. (laughs) After five minutes, I told him what I'm doing, and he immediately knew that I'm not a relevant LP for his fund, right? Because he is too big and I'm too small, right? And I'm not investing into big funds. But the minute after, he proposed me two other funds that he likes, that he really thinks are extraordinarily new people entering the market that no one has heard of before. One is in Asia, the other one was in Europe. With the Asian one, like I'm looking now at him. This is the kind of hunting that I'm doing, trying to reach out and understand. And then if I'm talking to someone in Asia, I try to really understand the whole market. Like, so I try to understand who else is there, right? I try to ask my network, who else should I look at in Asia? I try to talk to the bigger funds, you know, who do they source from? right? Who, who do they like in the markets? And that's the kind of way how I narrow down to the relevant funds. And then I spend more time with the relevant funds and try to understand if they are a fit to multiple or not. I've never invested in Asia, for example. The good thing is I don't have any governmental money, a government money, my fund. So I'm yeah. relatively um, flexible when it comes to investing. Europe was the niche that I've done in the last eight years, really. And I see like today, it was becoming less and less a niche. <laughs> it's becoming more and more a commodity market. It's a stupid word, but many people think they have access to the best players in Europe. And so if I do an investment today in Asia or in another region or vertical, then I'm, again, looking into the next niche, you know, that no one else is at the moment looking. That was, by the way, um, when I started in 2014, one of the first funds that I've done was in Eastern Europe. And at that moment, no one really believed in Eastern Europe and Turkey. This fund was literally shown to every German LP and none has invested. Because they said Eastern Europe has never produced any relevant companies, right? So, And today, this is one of the best funds ever in the European history. And this is the kind of thinking that I have. I want to, you know, make bets. And I call it sometimes contrarian bets, you know, because people are not believing in those new niches or new places. And that's where I'm looking, where I'm hunting, trying to hunt, as long as I can. David and I know how good work you do. We really love it. But I can't help but think that you've just shared with us quite staggering deal flow numbers here. And I think anyone listening in can hear that you know what you're talking about. I can't help but think, why are you not managing a bigger fund? (laughs) Look, Andreas, I'm not a good fundraiser. (laughs) I'm, I'm really the opposite of a good fundraiser. Otherwise, I think when I talk to my portfolio funds or some other people, they say, you know, multiple should be a 100 million fund or, you know, should be easy to raise this kind of number. And there are probably several reasons why it's not easy for us. I'm a solo GP at the moment. Even if it's accepted, meanwhile, for emerging managers in venture, it's still something very, very rare in the other fund and LP world, right? So we are considered more like a, bank product or an asset management product, you know, fund of fund. It's not really a VC, right? So we are an asset allocator. So they expect you to have a nice office and a huge team wearing ties and suits and, you know, being very, very conservative managers doing the work. I think I am doing the venture fund of fund business slightly different, right? So my setup is just different. I am like a solo GP and venture, but instead of investing into companies, I invest into funds. But coming back to your question, so the fundraising was very surprising to me. So I really thought that I'm, you know, bringing this kind of product to German family offices and 
that there is a huge need for this kind of product. Why? Because most of the German family offices don't have this kind of diversified portfolio in venture. But most of them should have this, right? If they want to allocate into venture, like even if it's just 1% of their assets, how do you allocate those 1% from your assets into a wide portfolio, wide smart portfolio in venture? So I thought I'm one of those you know, potential investments that makes a lot of sense for German family offices. So I started educating them. We built 100 plus data slides, you know, explained them everything and did exactly get zero money from German, new German family offices. That was a very eye-opening time for me. And in the end, I realized that the only ones now, today, my LPs are only LPs who really understand what I do, reach out to me most of the time. To give you here a statistic, none of the LPs that I've reached out have invested into my fund. Every LP that has invested into my fund has reached out to me. It's so interesting, right? After three years fundraising, I've reached out to more than 100 LPs. None of them has invested. And all the other, we have like a dozen of LPs now, have reached out to me. So that's the really interesting thing. Don't you think that the uh, explanation lies in the fact that you are contrarian? The nature of being contrarian is that, of course, other people don't think as you. So when you reach out, then you have a very difficult time finding people who share your views. But you are known for what you're doing. So the people who are reaching out to you, they already believe in you. They believe in the thinking that you have and your investment thesis. I'm curious, don't you think that's the reason? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So coming back to the contrarian part, right? So... Um, I think being contrarian and right makes you in venture extremely successful, as well as in other asset classes, by the way. The idea in the first portfolio at the family office was exactly you know, being contrarian and trying to be right. And we were contrarian and right. So that made us you know, an extremely successful portfolio with the first 10 fund investments. And you know, typically, that's the reason why I spin off, by the way, because I thought, okay, with this portfolio, it should be super easy for me to raise capital now. Unlike probably the best performing fund of funds in the European history, right? I don't know exactly, but probably. So I thought that should be like easy now, right? Everyone should understand that this is, okay, this makes sense. And he has shown it once. So and he's still doing the same thing. He's still trying to do, you know, niche venture capital fund investments. And, and it didn't work. It didn't work. So it was not like we have a track, we have returns, we have proven that this is not only an idea, but this is something that you know worked for us once. We are on track with the second portfolio. We have the first big outlier in the second portfolio already. Rare is the, is the company in the second portfolio. We consider it already an outlier because I think it's public. They have a valuation of over $3 billion. After more or less one year, we got into that company at seed stage. Yeah. There are others who are in that company as well, right? So, and there will be other outliers in Europe like Hopin. We are not in Hopin. The whole thing with multiple is we will be never in each company. You know, but probability for us being in one of those companies is extremely high. And again, we just are in one of those companies, right? So it's, again, a proof that, yes, it seems to work. Like, it seems there is some probability that this might be repeated. And the probability is probably higher than with other direct VCs or direct GPs. Why? Because we are wider in the portfolio. It's just by diversification. But we will never be a 10x fund or something, right? So multiple will be never a 10x fund. But on the other side, we will probably never lose money. There is a statistic that probability of fund of funds losing money is extremely low. The probability of a single fund losing money still is 
It's interesting what you're saying there, because I remember seeing a study from Cambridge Associates showing that the distribution of venture returns in North America versus Europe shows that there's quite a lot more top quartile performing funds in the States versus in Europe. I'm wondering if you've seen that and what you think about that. I haven't seen it. I think there are several statistics showing similar things. First of all, data and venture is never complete, so it's never accurate. That's one thing because many of the funds don't publish their numbers, so you don't really have accurate numbers. Second, we're talking about past, right? So in the past, that might be true, especially if you're looking at, let's say, the last 30 years. I think I would agree that there are more outlier funds in the U.S. compared to Europe. Today, I'm not sure anymore. Like today, it seems we have a lot of European super outlier funds in the pipeline. There are more and more funds in Europe staying at 3x or even 5x or even at 10x. This is something new in Europe. And this is something that still a lot of conservative LPs don't want to buy or don't believe in. But that's what we see. And, you know, we talked about UiPath. The two funds, the three funds that invested in UiPath will be extreme outliers. Right. So you have, again, new companies like Soraya, as I mentioned, yeah. the funds that invested early, the small ones that invested early in Soraya will be super outliers. Right. Hop in. I don't know the early investors, but Seedcamp is one of those. And if there are other early investors, even smaller funds than Seedcamp in Hop in, they will be super outliers. So there will be a lot of new potential 10x funds in Europe created. And don't forget, it's one thing that I mention again and again and again. Europe still is more a niche market compared to U.S. You have more competition in the U.S. You know, you invest if it's a great company to add a valuation that is three to four times higher, even in the you know initial round. There are more good names, and so it's more competitive to rounds. It's not like that you can easily get your 10% in the first round because there will be probably five other great names, and the founders will say, yeah, we give each of you 2% instead of 10% one. So this is something that is a benefit in Europe. So it's less competitive at seed stage. I'm not talking about A and B rounds, right? A and B rounds are extremely competitive now in Europe as well because U.S. money can invest in A and B rounds. But at seed stage, it's not. It's still a very niche market. So if you have good access in a very fragmented market like Europe, if we talk again about Eastern Europe, it's a super fragmented market. It's very difficult for one fund to cover all Europe or even all Eastern Europe. So if you have good access to specific markets in Europe, you still have the benefit of you know, being niche, being a niche investor and having an unfair advantage you know, in inventory. That makes Europe relatively interesting. Plus, the funds are smaller because they can't raise as much capital as in the U.S. It's a lot of benefits for European VCs. And the other thing is, a lot of companies in our portfolio are U.S. companies. They flip into U.S. companies. They're considered U.S. companies. They're considered global companies, right? Spotify today is a global company. UiPath is a global company. Supercell is a global company. Peak Games is a global company. Like, all those names are European-created companies, and they are, you know, Hopin is a global company today. Soraya is a global company already today. So it doesn't matter where your company is created. And I think the next step doesn't matter even if it's created in Europe. It could be in India. It could be in Southeast Asia. It could be in Africa. It could be in Southern America and South America. If Hopin is created in Argentina, it's still Hopin, right? So and it will be still used overall in the world. I think people underestimate European successes, and especially European fund returns. I personally believe that 
and I'm talking only about you know seed funds here. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't yeah, talk yeah. really about the big ones, the Atomicos, the, the Lake Stars, etc. I think they have a tougher world because they're competing against really the big, big names from the US for the best deals. If there is a Series B and there is a 20 million, 30 million round, and it's an interesting company, then you're competing against Benchmark, against Sequoia, against all those big names in the US. And the advantages are less, right? Because they have access yeah, to the same company. Ertan, before we close this conversation, I'd like to ask you a final question, which is, if I'm a listener, if I'm an emerging manager and I'm raising and I love everything you're saying, how should I reach out to you? But more importantly, what should I make sure before pressing the send button? So first of all, people can reach out to me cold. Like interestingly, in, in LinkedIn, sometimes I miss the message because it's so much noise in between. Yeah. Okay. I apologize for this if I don't answer immediately in LinkedIn. In Twitter, and hopefully no one listens to the end of this podcast, in Twitter, it's easier to get access. Or send me a DM in, in Twitter if you are a manager. I'm typically answering faster, quicker. And of course, sending me an email is probably the best thing. It's not difficult to you know, find my email address and send me a deck. Yeah. What I don't want is really advisors sending me something. I think the placement and advisor world does not work well for venture, especially for early stage venture. So please, advisors, don't send me any emails. But emerging manager who fits into my strategy, which is, you know, I'm investing in small funds, 10 to 50 million that invest at seed stage. If you are something like this, not investing later than seed, small fund size, very focused thesis, please feel free to reach out to me. Happy to look at it. Happy to give feedback. I can't promise that I invest. Well, I'm a fund manager myself, so I have to raise capital myself now, which is, again, as I said, you know, not easy for me. But yeah, I'm constantly looking at new funds, of course, constantly trying to understand who makes sense, who should be part of my portfolio. Ertan, thank you so much for your time, for taking the time to talk with us today. I learned a lot. I hope our listeners as well. We know a lot of people personally that are either trying to raise or have tried to raise and unfortunately most failed and some of our listeners are also either planning to raise or actively trying to raise so i'm really in the hopes that this was of huge value to them so thank you for your time really appreciated it thank you very much it was really fun just one thing that i want to mention i I just heard about it and tweeted about it venture is something like you know being like someone said is like being a cockroach, not dying, right? So the same for founders, I guess, you know. So not dying and being a cockroach and surviving is one part, and the other part is like trying to be a hero. So I, I just said, you know, I'm missing the second part, but I'm really working hard on being the first part. I'm trying not to die. I'm trying to survive. I'm trying to continue to do what I'm doing. And I think if someone believes in what he's doing and is trying to execute well, success will follow. And ideally, also fundraising will follow. Speaking of whether fundraising will follow, emerging managers always have the issue of having to perform as quick as possible. And that often makes them have to make decisions that are quite short-term focused rather than long-term focused. So as to show some results before they go out and raise their second fund. I'm curious, Edson, how do you think about evaluating early stage managers, emerging managers, and what are your tips there? My honest view here is that I personally think that it's very difficult to show real results for an emerging manager in a very, very short period of time, especially if it's investing at seed stage. You will have some markups, of course, right? So ideally in two years. So if you have invested in a seed company and after two years, you know, you probably ideally should have series A rounds in those seed companies. But these are still early markups. It's still no proof really about if those companies will be successful and will be exited and you have a great return or not. So it's very, very early. 
So what I really try to do is within my portfolio to understand how they work, right? So how they source, how they invest, who they invest with. Are they in the right syndicates? Do people like them? Do founders like them? Do other great VCs that I think of, do they like them? Do follow-on investors like them? Are they hustling? You know, are they getting into companies that no one else has seen? Are they fighting for bigger shares in the right companies? You know, are they well-perceived in, in the press uh, or not in the press maybe, but in the ecosystem, right? So these are the real things that I look at. I think it's not very intelligent to look at numbers in a first-time or even a second-time fund. It's just too early. And as you know, like there is a very old saying in asset management that past returns are not approved for future returns. So the numbers alone are not the thing, right? So it's more than the numbers, right? You have to understand why this person has these numbers, right? Does he really do a really good job? And that's the reason why he's selecting the right founders, the right companies. And that's the reason why the right follow-on investors are backing his Series A rounds of those companies. If you can see that, then I think this is the right one to back, right? Because someone has a niche where He's like a thought leader, you know, where everyone wants to reach out to him. If it is about, I don't know, quantum computing. So is he the one, you know, is he the quantum god talking about quantum or AI or life science or I don't know, right? So because that makes them also necessary for a good round. If I'm investing into a life science company and there is still room for a syndicate or I'm a founder of a life science company, I would reach out to this person, right, where I think he has the best brand investing in seed stage and life science in Europe. So that's the natural way. And then this person has to understand that he's a great founder, right? So this is much more important than looking at the first markups. This is too simple, sorry. You know, it would be too simple to do that. And if this would be the real way to get outlier returns, then it would be an easy way for everyone to, to get into outlier returns, right? And I think you're completely right there. Ayrton, we are at the end of our time. I'll have to say thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. You've been amazing and you're doing such important work. We know personally how many great people are trying to raise VC funds out there and they are struggling. So having someone like you who champions this subset of the asset class is so important. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us. Thank you. It was really fun. It was really interesting to discuss with you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The European VC, your podcast for insights into the European VC industry. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends, and join our Slack community at theeuropeanvc.com forward slash community. And don't forget, if you would like to suggest topics or guests for future episodes, join our community and help make the best pod for everything European VC. And if you are about to raise a fund or an international round, do let us know and we'll be happy to introduce you to relevant investors.